Section 101 of The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Novella Serena. The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. Conclusion The Night in the Sea. Chapter 1 A Watchdog may be a guardian angel. Gwynplaine uttered a cry. Is that you, Wolf? Homo wagged his tail. His eyes sparkled in the darkness. He was looking earnestly at Gwynplaine. Then he began to lick his hands again. For a moment Gwynplaine was like a drunken man. So great is the shock of hope's mighty return. Homo! What an apparition! During the last forty-eight hours he had exhausted what might be termed every variety of the thunderbolt. But one was left to strike him, the thunderbolt of joy. And it had just fallen upon him, certainly, or at least the light which leads to it regained. The sudden intervention of some mysterious clemency possessed, perhaps by destiny, life saying, Behold me, in the darkest recess of the grave, the very moment in which all expectation has ceased bringing back health and deliverance, a place of safety discovered at the most critical instant in the midst of crumbling ruins. Homo was all this to Gwynplaine. The wolf appeared to him in a halo of light. Meanwhile, Homo had turned round. He advanced a few steps, and then looked back to see if Gwynplaine was following him. Gwynplaine was doing so, Homo wagged his tail and went on. The road taken by the wolf was the slope of the quay of the Afric Stone. This slope shelved down to the Thames, and Gwynplaine, guided by Homo, descended it. Homo turned his head now and then to make sure that Gwynplaine was behind him. In some situations of supreme importance, nothing approaches so near an omniscient intelligence as the simple instinct of a faithful animal. An animal is a lucid somnambulist. There are cases in which the dog feels that he should follow his master, others in which he should precede him. Then the animal takes the direction of sense. His imperturbable scent is a confused power of vision in what is twilight to us. He feels a vague obligation to become a guide. Does he know that there is a dangerous pass, and that he can help his master to surmount it? Probably not. Perhaps he does. In any case, some one knows it for him. As we have already said, it often happens in life that some mighty help which we have held to have come from below has in reality come from above. Who knows all the mysterious forms assumed by God? What was this animal? Providence. Having reached the river, the wolf led down the narrow tongue of land which bordered the Thames. Without noise or bark, he pushed forward on his silent way. Homo always followed his instinct and did his duty, but with the pensive reserve of an outlaw. Some fifty paces more, and he stopped. A wooden platform appeared on the right. At the bottom of this platform, which was a kind of wharf on piles, a black mass could be made out, which was a tolerably large vessel. On the deck of the vessel, near the prow, was a glimmer, like the last flicker of a nightlight. The wolf, having finally assured himself that Gwynplaine was there, bounded on to the wharf. 
It was a long platform, floored and tarred, supported by a network of joists, and under which flowed the river. Homo and Gwynplaine shortly reached the brink. The ship moored to the wharf was a Dutch vessel, of the Japanese build, with two decks, fore and aft, and between them an open hold, reached by an upright ladder, in which the cargo was laden. There was thus a forecastle and an after-deck, as in our old river-boats, and a space between them ballasted by the freight. The paper-boats made by children are of a somewhat similar shape. Under the decks were the cabins, the doors of which opened into the hold and were lighted by glazed portholes. In stowing the cargo a passage was left between the packages of which it consisted. These vessels had a mast on each deck. The foremast was called Paul the mainmast, Peter. The ship being sailed by these two masts, as the church was guided by her two apostles. A gangway was thrown, like a Chinese bridge, from one deck to the other, over the centre of the hold. In bad weather, both flaps of the gangway were lowered, on the right and left on hinges, thus making a roof over the hold, so that the ship, in heavy seas, was hermetically closed these sloops being a very massive construction had a beam for a tiller the strength of the rudder being necessarily proportioned to the height of the vessel three men the skipper and two sailors with a cabin boy sufficed to navigate these ponderous sea-going machines the decks fore and aft were as we have already said without bulwarks the great lumbering hull of this particular vessel was painted black and on it, visible even in the night, stood out in white letters the words Vogret Rotterdam. About that time many events had occurred at sea, and amongst others the defeat of the Baron de Pointy's eight ships off Cape Carnero, which had driven the whole French fleet into refuge at Gibraltar, so that the channel was swept of every man-of-war, and merchant vessels were able to sail backwards and forwards between London and Rotterdam, without a convoy. The vessel on which was to be read the word Vogret, and which Gwynplaine was now close to, lay with her main deck almost level with the wharf, but one step to descend, and Homo, in a bound, and Gwynplaine in a stride, were on board. The deck was clear, and no stir was perceptible. The passengers, if, as was likely there were any, were already on board, the vessel being ready to sail and the cargo stowed, as was apparent from the state of the hold, which was full of bales and cases. But they were doubtless lying asleep in the cabins below, as the passage was to take place during the night. In such cases the passengers do not appear on deck till they awake the following morning. As for the crew, they were probably having their supper in the men's cabin, whilst awaiting the hour fixed for sailing, which was now rapidly approaching. Hence, the silence on the two decks connected by the gangway. The wolf had almost run across the wharf. Once on board he slackened his pace into a discreet walk. He still wagged his tail, no longer joyfully, however, but with the sad and feeble wag of a dog troubled in his mind. Still preceding Gwynplaine, he passed along the after-deck and across the gangway. Gwynplaine, having reached the gangway, perceived a light in front of him, it was the same that he had seen from the shore. There was a lantern on the deck, close to the foremast, by the gleam of which was sketched in black, on the dim background of the night, what Gwynplaine recognized to be Ursus's 
old four-wheeled van this poor wooden tenement cart and hut combined in which his childhood had rolled along was fastened to the bottom of the mast by thick ropes of which the knots were visible at the wheels having been so long out of service it had become dreadfully rickety it leant over feebly on one side it had become quite paralytic from disuse and moreover it was suffering from that incurable malady old age mouldy and out of shape it tottered in decay the materials of which it was built were all rotten the iron was rusty the leather torn the woodwork worm-eaten there were lines of cracks across the window in front through which shone a ray from the lantern the wheels were warped the lining the floor and the axle-tree seemed worn out with fatigue altogether it presented an indescribable appearance of beggary and prostration the shafts stuck up looked like two arms raised to heaven the whole thing was in a state of dislocation beneath it was hanging homo's chain does it not seem that the law and the will of nature would have dictated gwynplaine's headlong rush to throw himself upon life happiness love regained so they would except in some cases of deep terror such as his but he who comes forth shattered in nerve and uncertain of his way from a series of catastrophes each one like a fresh betrayal is prudent even in his joy hesitates lest he should bear the fatality of which he has been the victim to those whom he loves feels that some evil contagion may still hang about him and advances towards happiness with wary steps the gates of paradise reopen but before he enters he examines his ground gwynplaine staggering under the weight of his emotion looked around him while the wolf went and lay down silently by his chain End of section 101 Recording by Novella Serena